Victoria College is a public, open admission college. Our mission is to provide educational opportunities and services for our students and the communities we serve. For more information, please visit us at www.victoriacollege.com to schedule your tour. Welcome in to episode number 65 of The Grid. We settled on Lane Johnson, Philadelphia Eagles offensive tackle, probably a future Hall of Famer. Episode 65, we are here. It's the show that eats Taco Palenque after playoff games. I'm sorry, Mike, that's actually just me. That's what I did yeah. after this week's playoff game. I can't turn down Taco Palenque. You know, good taco after some high school football at the Alamo Dome. What's better on this planet? But we're in semifinal week of the Texas high school football playoffs. We got three teams left playing. We had some quarterfinal shocker last week and shockers last week, and that's where we're going to start. You know it's a big game when both Mike Foreman and myself are somewhere. And that was the case last Thursday at Victoria Memorial Stadium. Ganado and Refurio and Ganado not just winning 41-12, putting it on to Refurio Bobcats. And, Mike, we'll start with you. Both of us have seen these teams multiple times this season. What was kind of the first thing going through your head as you watched this game unfold and the manner with which it, in which it unfolded? Well, first of all, uh, whatever um, Ganado coach Josh Irvin saw on, on tape, he was able to make some really good adjustments from that first game, which was only really uh, not even a month ago, almost a month. Yeah, that was my thing. The other was, uh, you know, people say this, but it's true. It's hard to beat a team twice in one year. You know, let's face it, I'm – Refurio dominated that first game, um, and, and, you know, those kids knew that. So, you know, they're coming in thinking, well, we're going to do it again. And, you know, maybe without consciously thinking that, you do maybe let down your guard a little bit. Yeah, that can be easy, especially when you beat a team so decisively. You kind of saw it the previous week with Edna and Industrial, mm-hmm. where Edna had handled them in the regular season, and then Jaden Clay needed an outstanding throw in the final seconds to beat them in the playoffs. And the, the there were two things that stood out to me. Number one, Ganado told me during the week, Bryce Ullman told me, we believe we're the more physical football team, and we're going to show that. Well, they were the more physical football team. Refurio ran for almost 300 yards the first game. They didn't even run for 100 the second time around. So that's a big thing. The second thing, and this is what's really cool to see, you a team believes all these things. There were a lot of things that NATO believed coming in. And, Mike, you had kind of put the headline as a story as we knew we could do it. That's yeah. something that Dylan Holt had said. And Ganado believed we missed opportunities the first game. That's why the game was so lopsided. We believe we're the more physical team. And that, you know, we believe we we can impose our will. We believe we are better in the passing game now than we were a month ago. And that's something that's going to show up. And everything Ganado believed about themselves and about this matchup came true on the football field. And that was something that was having been around Ganado during the week and talking to them, it was it was pretty cool for me to see it kind of play out on the field because it's, you know, p- players and coaches, they stay, say stuff throughout the week, but it's always okay. Like, yeah, you're going to make adjustments, but they're going to make adjustments too. You have a team on the other side of the ball who's trying to win, who's trying to do stuff well also. So it was cool to see Ganado, everything they believed came true. And that was it's something that you kind of love about sports is you, everything you believe you get to kind of put to the test. You get to put your theories in action. And that was what was cool to me about Ganado because everything that they believed 
came true. And credit to Josh Irvin, credit to those players, credit to that staff because they put together a heck of a plan, and more importantly, they executed that that game plan they put together. Yeah, no question. And then you, you flip it over, and to me, what what was the biggest play in that game? And to me, that was the fumble right before halftime that Ganado scored on. Instead of going in seven down 7-0, seven and, you know, Refuro took his first drive down and scored. If, you know, but instead of being down 14 to nothing, you're down 7 to 6. That's a big difference. Right. And uh, that was critical. And Refurio also, of course, turned it over on the last play of the game, which just made the score worse. Right. But, but really, it just goes to show you how crucial turnovers are in these games. And, um, the other thing was, and I, I know Refurio fans have been saying this all week, Ernest Campbell only touched the ball three times in that game. I mean, or, well, he caught, I think he ran twice, he caught one pass. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, that's not enough. I mean. Not he, for the fastest kid no, in the state of Texas. And, no, and not for a D1 commit. You know, you like Not just think, D1, Texas A&M yeah, commit. You like to think that he's going to touch the ball more. And, and uh I'm sure part of that was how the game played out. But still, uh, going in, you, you would think you'd want a guy like that to touch the ball more. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I know Refurio was thinking, um, look, we got to run the ball if we're going to beat Timpson. But you have to get to Timpson, and they never did. They never did. And that's something that you've been talking about for about six weeks now is kind of everything they've been doing and the power game has been preparing for Timpson. But – that you had to go and beat Ganado a second time who was ready for that power game, who wanted to get in the physical battle with you, who maybe that's a team you need to challenge a little more on the outside. Maybe if you go to Ernest, you go to Kai Whitmire on the outside, you go to Isaiah Avery, get mm-hmm. the ball in those speedsters' hands. Maybe it opens things up for Jordan King in the middle a little bit more because Ganado was selling out for the run. And yeah. they, Jordan King, who's an outstanding, you know, mm-hmm. an outstanding ball carrier, one of the best ones we have in our area, he really couldn't find any room to run. And it wasn't because he all of a sudden got worse in the last month. It was just because there was no room to run. And you know what? Ganado players are – Jordan King's there to pick up yards and Ganado linebackers and defensive linemen are there to make tackles. Yeah, and this is this is real interesting because it, I know it's it's early, but you look ahead to next year. Ganado has a ton of people back, and, and Refurio does too. The people that Refurio loses are the speed people. Yeah. But they're going to be big up front, and so they'll be more physical next year. So, they, you know, this is going to be uh, not just a one-year thing. I think next year these two teams may go at it again. Well, this is one that kind of already looking ahead, it's like, oh, game game of the year in the region. Yeah. This is one you kind of circle right away because you mentioned Ganado, a lot of juniors. Bryce Ullman, the quarterback, who, gosh, the steps he's taken in the last month. Yeah. I mean, Mike, you saw him a month ago in the first game of Refugio versus this one, and we had talked after the game about you were just impressed kind of with the development, how much better he yeah. had gotten over the course of a month. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, the way he hit his reads. And and they also knew, and I'll give credit to uh, Coach Irvin on this, they knew where to attack. They attacked a specific place. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they, they found what they thought was a weakness in Refurio's secondary, and they attacked it, and it proved to be mm-hmm. successful. 
And this is where Ganado, they have multiple pass catching options yeah. as well. They got about four guys who they're comfortable throwing to and another two or three who they're comfortable running the ball with. So there's no shortage of, you know, hey, if we feel like a player or an area of the field, if we feel like we can attack it, we can just go with it because we trust all of our guys implicitly. So there's Ganado, a lot of options. What a season for Josh Irvin and company over there. They'll be playing Timpson this week, and we'll talk about that yeah. one here in a few minutes because I'll be there in Shenandoah for that one, and that should be a that'll be a fun one. Looking forward to that. Mike, I say shockers, quarterfinal shockers, because Ty Haven and Poth, <laughs> probably the two best defenses in 3A Division Two. Oh, they're just going to get in a shootout. They're going to put – I think each of them scored on their first two drives. It was like 28-14 to 14 at half and yeah. a wild back-and-forth game. Ty Haven wins in double OT and – David Lucio, I think, said it best. Joseph Dodds is a is a combination of Eric Dickerson and Denzel Washington. Gosh, I love David Lucio. Um, Mike, you were out at Tidehaven this week. They are in the 3A Division II semifinals with a 34-28. They finally get over the post hump. They finally get over that hump. What, what a win for David Lucio, Joseph Dodds, and the Tidehaven Tigers. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, Coach Lucio told me when I was out there this week, he, he thinks the difference is uh, Tidehaven's uh, physicality. He uh, – he said you could see Poth has quite a few guys going both ways. And he said you could see it in the fourth quarter. Those guys were starting to, you know, you could tell they were getting tired. And, uh, boy, I mean, Tidehaven is just going to keep pounding on you. And they'll hit you, too. I mean, they're not shy about it. And I know you look at it and you say, well, they gave up 28 points. Yeah, but a lot of those points came early. And they came on big plays, yeah. too. It wasn't both just 10 plays, yeah. moving the ball down the field. It was these big pop plays, which I don't know if fluky is the right word, but they're not necessarily very duplicable things. Yeah, and Tidehaven is healthy. And that's a big thing because the last two years they haven't been, especially Joseph. Oh, Dodds, Dodds last year, like he shouldn't have been playing yeah. at this point in the postseason. Yeah, so that was a big deal. And um, so I think, uh, you know, Tidehaven, they uh, – They've had that mindset for the first year that they, they belong, you know. So anybody that doubts, you know, what they're doing over there is crazy because uh, these guys, I mean, this is a complete team. I mean, even quarterback Kel Russell, you know, he's a sophomore now. But he has that experience from last year, which be, which he's benefiting from. Well, he's got something like 26 games under his belt yeah. at this point. So, like, yeah, he's a sophomore in classification, but he's played as many games as any junior or senior yeah. in the state. So, yeah, so they, they've got pieces over there. And, I mean, just look at uh, Justin Griffith. Uh, that guy's a monster at uh, defensive end. Well, uh, Jason Duran. Uh, yeah, Jochen Duran. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're, he's got – people over there so um you know we haven't even mentioned uh rubio ricky rubio the, the linebacker yeah, yeah so i mean uh that shows you um so uh anybody that writes them off is crazy yeah for ty david i think this you know similar to Ganado when they played shiner this like all mm -hmm. the way back in late september i remember Ganado beating shiner it wasn't you know, Shiner was obviously down this year, but it was such a mental hurdle for them of we finally overcame Shiner. Yeah. And I think that kind of – you did a story on them at the time, and that kind of has catapulted Ganado on this run there are now. I th now, obviously, you know, there's only a couple weeks left in the season, but Tidehaven finally overcoming that post hurdle. Mm -hmm. It would have been so easy to down two touchdowns. Your defense, which has been impenetrable all season – 
finally broke a little bit for mentally that Tidehaven team to break. It would have been so easy for that to happen. Lucio's teams did not. They kept coming back from down double digits. They kept coming down from coming back from down multiple scores, coming back, getting the game into OT. They missed a field goal to start overtime where, again, another yeah. point where the team could have broken. Mm -hmm. They didn't break. They come back. They win the game. A testament to not – I mean, obviously, tight end is really good. We've seen them. They're very talented. But the mental strength and resolve of this team as well, that's what I'm impressed with with this game because I think there were so many – chances where good teams would have broken those moments and Tidehaven did not so I mean credit to them really excited for their match against matchup against Dangerfield this week in the semifinals that'll be one we talk about in a bit Mike you were in Bastrop for Edna and again what Edna team shows up well the good Edna showed up this week they handled Blanco they're on to the semifinals with a rematch in Franklin yeah that, that was that was not much of a contest at all I mean uh Edna did dominated from start to finish in fact it could have been worse i mean as much as bad as it was and what was it 52 to 25 to 13 oh my god and i mean edna had the ball on the one yard line and didn't score four tries from the one didn't get in with that's almost hard to believe with yeah. kate rodas in the backfield and, uh, the other thing about that is too here's the thing edna turned the ball over four times in that game now, granted, Blanco turned it over six times, which, you know, so Edna comes out plus two. But, um, you know, so it wasn't a perfect game. But you could tell that mentally they were into the game. And that was what was important, I think. Uh, I think they finally got to that point where, hey, you know, let's play like we're capable of playing. And um, when they do that, they're they're a very talented team. Edna feels like an avalanche. Like once they kind of get going, they got such overwhelming talent. Jaden Clay, a four-year starter at quarterback, who you talk to coaches in the region, they all like Jaden Clay. They all think he's really good. Cade Rodas, outstanding running back. They got fast, good receivers out there. Big athletic defensive line. Like there, you look at this team. There's not like. You know, it, there's not really weaknesses there. They got talent and dudes everywhere. Yeah, well, the one thing is they're not quite as big up front as they were last year. But they're athletic. They're they not are, big, but they're athletic. They are, and I'll tell you what, too. That secondary, uh, they are ball hawks. And, I mean, they'll get the ball. And, uh, like, once uh, Tyson Owens had an 80-yard fumble return. I mean, those guys, I mean, you turn the ball over against them and you're in trouble. Well, you mentioned Tyson Owens right now. Yeah. Tyson Owens is probably their fastest player on the team, an absolute playmaker. He's probably like their number three or four option on offense. Like he's just kind of like, oh yeah, Tyson Owens is there too because Jaden Clay's awesome. Yeah. Cade Rodas is incredible. Braylon Harris is an absolute game breaker. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, we got Tyson Owens as well, who can every time he touches the ball is a threat to do something incredible. So Edna's got a rematch with Franklin this week, the two-time defending state champs. But the Cowboys, again, we've said it when they, when they're playing well when they're rolling they are as difficult to beat as anybody and again 55 13 against Blanco in a game that as Mike Foreman says wasn't even that close no, it wasn't. so I mean ridiculously impressive by the Cowboys once again while Mike was in Bastrop I was at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio worshiping at the altar of Tim Duncan mm -hmm. I'm only slightly kidding when I say that uh Calhoun in San Antonio Davenport and this was a you know, you talk about, I mean, Whitaker, Coach Whitaker said it from Calhoun after the game, Coach Richard Whitaker, you know, it's like a yellow bus gets rolling downhill. You know, you can't really stop it. And that's what happened with Calhoun. The game's tied 20-20. to 20. 
Calhoun, this is in the third quarter, game's tied at 20. Davenport's running the ball. Calhoun's going to get it back mm-hmm. with a chance to take the lead and all the momentum. They muff the punt. Davenport recovers, goes in and score. Next drive, fumble, two play, four plays later, Davenport scores again. Next drive, penalty, backs up Calhoun to the four-yard line, fumble in the end zone, three touchdowns in two and a half minutes. That's the game. Calhoun, Mike, Calhoun turned the ball over five times against San Antonio Davenport. They hadn't turned it over in six weeks prior to that. And that's what, talking to Coach Whitaker after the game, that's what he kept saying was this is this is not who we are. This team was not what we showed on, you know, at the Alamo Dome on Friday night. And it's, you know, bad turnover luck. It's kind of a cop-out in this situation. But for a team that hadn't turned over in six weeks, turned over five times, that's like – that's mind blowing, and some of that's a Davenport defense. They were really fast, and they, you know, yes, Calhoun made made mistakes, but Davenport went and helped them make. They encouraged them to go and make those mistakes with their speed and their athleticism. But it was so a Calhoun team that's usually so disciplined and so dialed in to turn it over five times. It was, I mean, I talked about an avalanche with Edna earlier. It was an avalanche the other way with Calhoun. Yeah, it's. Uh... It's disappointing, but uh, that seems to be the uh, story for Calhoun. You know, when it turns the ball over, that's what happens. When it doesn't, it has a really good chance to win. Yeah, and it's one where, and again, it it was one I was kind of saying throughout the week. Like, I thought the game would kind of be one-sided either way. And Davenport gets out 14 nothing, and it's like, oh, man, this is going to get ugly pretty quick. Because, you know, Calhoun, triple option, not really built to yeah. come back. And Davenport's offense, you know, they Davenport's offense is impressive. They they execute. They're, they're up-tempo. The quarterback makes good decisions. They got quite a bit of speed. But Calhoun was able to – they forced a couple of turnovers. They blocked – you know, they blocked a couple of kicks. They were able to just – you know, will themselves back into this football game once they tied it at 20. And at that point, the offense had gotten going. Jace Campo said every time they got to him on the fullback dive, you know, they would take it away every play. But the handful of times they didn't, he just 20 yards, like right away, and, you know, a load to tackle at that fullback spot. And it looked like Calhoun had figured it out offensively, and they're about to take over this game. They were so close. And then the muffed putt changes everything. And I think Whitaker and this team, they're going to look back and, gosh, if we don't muff that punt, are we playing football this week in the semifinals? Are we, you know, are we playing at McLean Stadium in Waco against Tyler Chapel Hill? That's what Whitaker and the Sandcrabs are going to have to live with for the next several months. Is you know if that you know it's a it's a butterfly effect. If that if if not that, then does then does this happen? It's uh, and it it was kind of surreal just to watch Calhoun just kind of come apart like that because it's so uncharacteristic uh, of the Sandcrabs. The, uh, we had one more team in the in the regional in the in the regional final. Fall City falling to Chilton and Fall City. It was uh, you know, Mike, you talked about it during the week. You know, they might have been a year ahead of where they are. And Chilton, one of the very best teams in the state, and Fall City just bit off a little bit more than they could chew in this yeah, one. Yeah, I was kind of stunned when I saw the score. I didn't expect it to be that lopsided. But like we said, like you mentioned last week. Uh, this is a young Fall City team, and uh, I expect Fall City to be right back next year. Uh, I'm sure they'll learn from this experience, and uh, I hate to keep bringing this up, but, you know, look at Chilton. I mean, they thought they might not even be in the playoffs, and here they are now in the uh, semifinals against Mart. 
Yeah, I think there were so many teams in Region Four that when the executive committee was deciding, yeah. you're kind of you know, you know everyone will say like you know we want the competition, yeah. we want to face the best. But when fall when Chilton's playoff fate's being decided, they're like, hey, you know what? If we don't have to play Chilton, that really helps us out quite a bit, and you can see why that is because Chilton is one of the very best, most talented teams in the state, and they're playing that way. But like I said, Fall City, very young team, really probably overachieving for what they are this year. So a team that we we expect to be back making playoff runs a year from now at this time. So again, it's it's awesome when you got so many teams playing at this time of the year. We had five, you know, we had six in the yeah. in the regional final. We got three more playing next week in the semifinals. So we're going to talk about those games next, right after we hear this message from White Trash Services. Stay tuned. Episode sixty-five of the Grid. I'm joined by BJ Nelson. BJ, White Trash Services. What is it, and, and, and what do y'all do? Well, thank you for asking. We gather trash in the counties around the Crossroads area. We've been in business for eight years, and we have dumpster, trash can, and roll-off companies. And, you know, y'all are y'all are big advocates for, for sports throughout the Crossroads region. Just what makes y'all want to sponsor uh, all, all high school sports throughout the Victoria area? High school sports are amazing. One, they keep kids out of trouble. It teaches them about character, teaches them about right and wrong, uh, how to do better in life. You learn a lot of life skills in sports and especially football. And how can someone get a hold of White Trash Services to start their service, rent a roll-off, or apply to be a part of your team? You can give us a call at 361 550-1826. I have a team of ladies that answer the phone and gentlemen. So give us a call anytime, 8 to 5 during the day, and uh, we'd be happy to visit with you about any of those things. All right, and we are back. Episode 65 of The Grid. It is semifinal week. As people say, it's the most heartbreaking week of the high school football playoffs. You're so close to Jerry World, Mike. You can smell it, but you got a really good team in between you and the state championship game. And we'll start with where you're going to be in Cyprus this week. Edna rematch against a two-time defending state champions, Franklin. You've talked to Jimmy Mitchell. You've been at Cowboy practice this week. What's the feeling? What's the sentiment as they get ready to take on and try to dethrone the champs? Well, they know they're they're in for a tough fight. Uh, obviously, Franklin had scored a lot of points, uh, which uh, Jimmy Mitchell calls it more of a wing tee than actual slot tee offense. Uh, likes to run the ball. Um, you know, they're big up front. Uh, from what I understand, their tight end is huge. So... Um, you just, uh, you know, Edna knows to win this game, it can't make mistakes. I mean, that's the bottom line. They can't throw interceptions, can't fumble the ball, can't get a bunch of penalties. That was another thing last week. It had 100 yards and penalties. Got to cut that out. Can't have pre-snap penalties, those kind of things. But um, I believe, you know, Edna has the athleticism, you know, where if it can – you know, can get in there and play a good game, I think it has a chance. Yeah, we, Mike, we've talked about it or we've referenced it before in the podcast where Edna in this round a year ago, they thought they were kind of right there with Franklin, that game change. Take us back, rewind to last year. What happened in that semifinal game? What 
what was it that allowed that, you know, where Edna kind of fell apart and allowed Franklin to go in advance and ultimately win the state championship? Well, they had a couple of pre-snap penalties, which one time came on a fourth and one. Uh, then another time they, they had one, they missed a field goal, and uh, Franklin scored 21, uh, 21 points in the second quarter, and that was the difference in the game, really. And uh, you just cannot make those kind of mistakes against a team like this. Uh, and, it, and the other thing is that Jaden Clay brought this up, uh, the quarterback. Um, when Edna gets the ball and puts a drive together, it needs to get points. He said uh, Franklin does such a good job of moving the ball and limiting your possessions that they become even more critical. That's why anytime you have an opportunity, you need to score. I'm curious to see. You mentioned Franklin's really big up front, and they, they run kind of a wing tee. Edna's very athletic up front, even if they're not maybe as big as some of the bigger teams in the state. I'm curious to see how that matchup manifests itself over the course of the game. Was Does Edna's athleticism and quickness kind of prevail up front, or is Franklin going to be able to just kind of get behind their big guys and I, I just say run straight, like just just run straight, you know, can, can they go ahead and do that? So I'm curious to see, but you can see at times where really big physical teams have trouble with quicker, more shifty, more twitchy defensive linemen. Yeah, and a, another thing is with the wing T, slot T, anything, you have to play your assignments right. You cannot be chasing or looking in the backfield or that's when they break those big plays. Yeah. So uh, that's another, you know, critical area for the Edna defense. Yeah, and that's something I know it's I know it's different schemes, but in watching Calhoun against Davenport last week, Calhoun running the triple option, there were times where you know, Calhoun, they have, you know, blockers have their assignments. They got where they're supposed to be. But Davenport, just their speed defensively, yeah. they were kind of able to beat the assignment. Like someone was supposed to pull, but the defensive lineman or linebacker was had already shot the gap before the lineman could even pull there. So just kind of game within the game stuff. I'm curious to see, can can Edna's athleticism take over a game like that up front? They, I mean, they don't lack the athletes. So again, a fun one to watch. And again, Edna, it's, I always love it when, a team matches up with a team that ended their season the previous year. Cause you know, in Edna's case, they've had Franklin circle. They have Franklin day in the off season when they're lifting, they put the Franklin logo on the wall in the weight room. And it's been, you know, it's been this way for 11 months and three weeks now. And they get, they finally get their shot at Franklin once again, a year later. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how, you know, how this matchup plays out. Because, again, we talk about what Edna shows up, good Edna or bad Edna. I guarantee they're all the way locked in this week. They've been waiting for they've been waiting for this one for a year, and they finally get it. You'll be in Cyprus. I'll be a little bit different part of the greater Houston area. I'll be in Shenandoah for Ganado and number one Timson. And all year it looked like we were building towards Timson and Refurio, the top two teams in the state from the outset in 2AD1. But Ganado had other ideas knocking off Refurio. And with Timson, it's no secret. It's Terry Bussey, the number 18 player in the class per 24-7 sports, the number one athlete in the entire country. And I, I like the way Ganado's approaching this. They just, you know, some teams they get into this game and they'll just say, oh, well, that quarterback, or they have a guy, or they have some speed. And Ganado, very openly and honestly, we have to figure out how to stop Terry Bussey. We got to figure out how to contain him. They acknowledge the challenge that's in front of them, and they know, hey, we we have to we have to figure out what we're going to do about him because if we let him, he can 
almost single-handedly beat you. And Mike, he, Terry Bussey, someone you saw a year ago, and you were mightily impressed. Yeah, he can beat you single-handedly. And the, the thing is, though, he doesn't necessarily have to. They they have almost everybody back from last year. That That is a good team, just very athletic. Uh, but Bussey is the key. I mean, you've got to try to prevent his big plays. I mean, you can't stop that an athlete like that. But – if you can prevent his big plays, that's what uh, Refurio was able to do last year. You know, this, the final score of that game was 17-14. to 14. So, And both of those, I think Bussy broke a long run, and I think he threw a touchdown pass in that game. But um, otherwise, he was able to get yardage, but he never really was able to break one. And that's what Ganado's going to have to do. They cannot let him break one. The other thing, I think, for Ganado is – they want to go on drives, you know, get first downs, get first downs and score. And uh, if they can do that and limit, you know, Timson's possessions, then they'll have a shot. Something that Ganado did against Refurio that I think will be replicable against Timson is Dylan Holt and the running game. Dylan Holt's a big running back for Ganado, and he's a, I mean, if you stand next to him, he's a load. He's a pretty big human being. And just running Dylan Holt straight ahead and getting five, six yards of carry, bouncing off tacklers, taking multiple guys to bring them down. That's a way for Ganado to, you know, go and move the football. And talking to Bryce Ullman this week, he said, look, Terry Bussey's back there playing safety. We know we're probably not going deep a whole lot. Like just the over-the-top passing game with him back there at free safety is probably not an option for us this week. So the quick passing game, but again, trying to neutralize the speed with that power running game combined with some quick passing game. I imagine they'll take a shot or two at some point. They got uh, multiple receivers yeah. there, trust. Maybe you get one on one side, one guy on one side, one or the other, both run deep, and Bussy's got to pick a side and you throw to the other one. Um, but that mm-hmm. is, I'm, I'm interested to see, but I, Ganado's offense, I'm confident in their ability to go and move the ball, but they know the challenge that Terry Bussey presents. Josh Irvin believes, though, that this matchup could not have come at a better time. He said this is really perfect for us playing Ganado and or uh, playing Refurio and then Timpson back to back because Refurio with Ernest Campbell, with Kai Whitmire, with Isaiah Avery, they have a lot of speed on their team, so they feel like they're not. Ganado feels like it won't have to adjust to a different level of speed. It's like, hey, we just played a very high-level speed team already, so we're not going to be shocked by the level of speed that Timson will present when they get out on the field. So they actually like the way, Ganado likes the way the matchup kind of set itself up. Yeah, and and one thing, you know, I'll point out is last year, uh, Refurio had a lot of success running uh, Ernest Campbell on the jet sweep. In fact, he broke one for a touchdown and. uh I don't know if Timpson wasn't expecting that. And you say, you know, you don't want to go deep on Bussey and why I wouldn't press the issue. Uh, the big play that set up the winning field goal was the pass uh, from Keelan Brown to Ernest Campbell, and Bussey was defending him. But uh, it was man-to-man, and uh, Campbell just made a heck of a play and caught the ball. That set up their winning field goal. So, uh I, I think Ganado will take some shots. Oh, I, they, they absolutely yeah, will, but, but they're I, it's gonna be they're gonna be very mindful yeah, about when they take yeah, those yeah, shots. Because you definitely do not want to turn the ball over to Bussy. So uh Well yeah. I see if he gets an interception, he's liable just to take it back to the house. Yeah. And uh, they'll put him back there on kickoffs too. Yeah. So I mean, you know, you have to account for him every play of the game. So uh 
that's something. But, you know, if anyone can put together a game plan, I'm sure it's Josh Irvin because we've seen, you know, already what he's done. I mean, yeah, they put up, you know, they put up 37 points on a really good Mason defense that wasn't allowing anything all year. They put up fifth. They put up 50 on Holland, who was undefeated. They went and put 41 up on Refugio. I mean, a couple of those were defensive touchdowns, but still, that was Gennado did not struggle to move the ball. In fact, if it wasn't for a couple of high snaps that kind of yeah. took him out of scoring range, that game could have looked even worse on the scoreboard than it ultimately did. There were a couple of bad snaps when Ganado was kind of in scoring territory that took him out of it. Yeah, of course, you could turn that around and say if those if Refurio gets those snaps, well, we're looking at well, a different Well, there, and there were a couple of fumbles yeah. as well where so, that Ganado yeah. was able to jump on. So, I mean, yeah. you could do the what about is, yeah. but suffice it to say – Ganado should be able to move the football. I, I don't so. question Josh Irvin and Bryce no. Ullman and their ability to pick up yards and put points on the board. Yeah, I don't either. And um, The question is, how are they going to do it? I think he preferred to do it with long drives. Yeah. And if they can do that, then, uh, then that gives them a better chance. Yeah, this is a very – I'm very interested to see because the Ganado coaching staff, not just Irvin, but a defensive staff as well with their game plan against Referio last week, they've shown they can – put together a plan and like I said more importantly the players have shown they can execute said plan very interested to see we're 24 hours away from that one as we're recording this right now very interested and excited to see how Irvin and company game plan for Terry Bussey and Timpson but we got one more game this week as well we got Tidehaven and Dangerfield and you know this is the first matchup on the gridiron that we can find but Mike these two teams already don't like each other yeah it's weird uh, they played in seven on seven this summer uh, and uh, you know it's funny when I was down there uh, uh, David Lucio the coach was telling me they beat beat Dangerfield why well, I, I was curious so I came back and looked at my story and no they did not beat Dangerfield Dangerfield beat them but but as Lucio said what uh Lucio didn't have his top cornerback there. And so uh, what what ended up Dangerfield happening was they have a receiver that's committed to Texas, and they started throwing to him <laughs> against that corner. Yeah. And uh, that worked out, and that was the difference. But uh, from what I gather, from what they tell me down there, it doesn't seem like Dangerfield really respects them very much. Um, and, you know, I understand that because, look, Dangerfield is this perennial powerhouse that, you know, has been been so deep so many times. And here you have Tidehaven, which, which has won two state titles. But this year they're kind of the new kids yeah. on the block, though. Yeah, So, but they haven't been this far, you know, in a while. So uh, um, I think that works to – what uh, works at tight even's advantage, and here's the other thing. Um, and this is the thing that uh, about tight even is I think they feel like that if they keep the game close at halftime, if they're with you know within striking distance, and the game will turn in their favor in the second half because of their physicality. And that's something if you're gonna play power football and like just try to play bully ball. I tell people this, it, in ba I'm a basketball guy. In basketball, teams who press don't press to turn you over the first couple minutes of the game. Pressure breaks pipes. You do it so in the fourth quarter they're tired and they're throwing sloppy passes. It's the same thing, it's the same thing playing power football. You don't do it so Joseph Dodds breaks a 70-yard run in the first quarter. It's so by the third and fourth quarter, those defensive linemen are 
tired of filling those gaps. Those linebackers are tired of trying to chase around and tackle Joseph Dodds, who's a big, imposing figure in the run game, and Joachim Duran, who's another just big athlete, big, powerful athlete. You play that way, so in the third and fourth quarter, you're imposing your will on the opponent. So that I mentioned to see this matchup for Dangerfield a little more speed. You mentioned the receiver who's coming into Texas. I imagine he's going to play a part in this game as well. Same way Dodds will for Tidehaven. So a kind of clash in styles here, and that's probably a fair assessment from Lucio. Look, we can't. You can never win a game this, in the first quarter, but you can definitely lose. You can definitely lose the game. If this game is close, the more it goes on, Tidehaven, with their physicality, with their style of play, with their defense, has to feel like the game favors them the later it goes. Yeah, I agree with that, and uh, yeah, we'll see how this goes because, uh, you know, last year Poth uh, wiped up on Region 3, which is kind of a surprise, but uh, and uh, we'll see how, how it works out this year. I know uh, Tidane would like to get another shot at winning a third straight title, or third title, not third straight. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. Of course, you got Canadian on the other side of the bracket over there. And Gunter. And, you yeah. Know, pick your poison there, Gunter or Canadian. Yeah. Uh, I mean, boy, those two teams, I mean. Yeah, every year it seems like. Well, Gunner and Canadian are ranked number one and two in the state. Tidehaven number three. And again, Tidehaven, it's it's very it's very unusual that you're thirteen and oh, you've you've destroyed everybody you've played except for the last round of the playoffs, a really good post team who's always at this point. But you've destroyed everybody. You're undefeated, rarely challenged, and you get to play the nobody believes in us card. They don't respect us card. Very rare if you're Lucio, you get to play that card. So I think Lucio, kind of with his stuff coming out, he's like, oh, you don't respect us? We got Denzel Washington and Eric Dickerson's love child over here, and Joseph Dodds, and you don't respect us? Very rare you get to play that card. So I think Lucio and company, they're excited. Ty David hasn't been this far in a very long time, but... It's because Poth's been really good. They haven't been able to get over that hill, and some of it due to injuries. Some of it just Poth is really good themselves, and they're trying to win as well. But Ty Haven finally gets over that hill. They're in the semifinals now, and they believe, hey, of the four teams left, we have as good a chance as anybody of winning the championship at Jerry World. Yeah, sure. And, of course, uh, we should, I guess, point out that if uh, Ganado makes it, they will play Wednesday night at AT AT&T in Arlington. If... um, Edna makes it. They would be the uh, four o'clock game or the three o'clock game. I'm sorry. And then the uh, if Tidehaven makes it, they would be the seven o'clock game on Thursday. So hey, everybody win. We get Wednesday night, and then we get Thursday afternoon and Thursday night. Mike can go paint the town of Arlington, Texas, blue. I uh, doubt that. <laughs> oh, it'll. But be- there is a fat burger there, so uh, there. I, I'm, I'm looking. I really look forward to that. And you know what? I can map out all the Taco Palenques between here and uh, between here and Dallas. But fun week of of semifinal football, the most heartbreaking round of the playoffs. But again, it's so exciting to get to this to get to this point. There are no bad teams left. Every game's a banger. Every game is. You know, talking to the coaches this week, it's we have to play our best football game of the season this week. And that's how everybody feels. Just you're probably playing your toughest opponent to date this week. Makes everything really exciting. Can't wait to be out there for the semifinals in 24 hours' time. We're going to hear a message from Thriving Financial. And then we'll, we'll wrap up the show. we got some all-area stuff to talk about. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thriving is a proud sponsor of The Grid. Thriving believes money is a tool, not a goal. Thrivent Financial Advisor Carly Herrick works with clients to create financial strategies that reflect their priorities and help them protect the things that matter most. 
like family and giving back. Carlin can be reached at 361-223-7883 or connect.thrivent.com backslash true-path-planning. All right, we are back. Episode 65 of The Grid. And little known fact, I don't think it's that little known because it's in your Twitter bio. Our friend Mike Foreman here is a, he gets to vote on the Heisman Memorial Trophy. And the uh, that's, you know, quite an honor for someone in the media. And we're excited about that. He has cast his vote. We are not at liberty to tell you who he voted for. So we're not going to do that. What we are going to do, though, there are four finalists for the Heisman Trophy, four outstanding college football players. We got Marvin Harrison Jr., the wide receiver from Ohio State, Jaden Daniels, the quarterback from LSU, Bo Nix, the quarterback from Oregon, and Michael Penix Jr., the quarterback from Washington. We'll see him in the college football playoff against the Texas Longhorns here in a few weeks. And, Mike, you're a Heisman voter. So what we're kind of going to do here, you can't tell us who you voted for, not until – the uh, not until the award comes out so we're not going to get you in any trouble here but we're going to play a little game i kind of we're going to go through the candidates and we're going to kind of you're going to kind of tell us why you would vote for this person if it is who you voted for so we'll start with marvin harrison jr the rec- a lot of quarterbacks we get a receiver this year marvin harrison jr the outstanding receiver from ohio state yeah i, I think he may be the uh, best receiver in college football outstanding receiver uh you know, we've seen him in the playoffs the last few years and really a great one. I'm sure he'll be a very high draft pick. Uh, I think what's going to hurt Marvin, uh, what, what's going to hurt Harrison is the fact that uh, Ohio State lost to Michigan and didn't make the playoffs. So I, th- I think that'll hurt him some. Yeah, and, Mar- and Marvin Harrison Jr., I remember watching the Michigan-Ohio State game when Ohio State got the ball with a chance to win there at the very end. It was gosh, he could have his Heisman moment right here because this is an interesting Heisman year where none of, no one has really, like, no one's the real, like, oh, he's definitely winning. We go into this week knowing it's just a coronation in New York. This guy's definitely winning. And Harrison had a chance to kind of have his Heisman moment, but he is. I don't think Marvin Harrison Jr. is only the best receiver this year. He may be the best most talented receiver I've ever seen in college football. Marvin Harrison Jr. is absolutely un- unbelievable. His dad was obviously a heck of a player. I can't wait to see him play on Sundays. Let's move on now. We'll go to the Washington quarterback, Michael Penix Jr. The Huskies are in the playoff. He put up good numbers. Mike, what's the what's the case? If you voted for Michael Penix Jr., what would be the reason you voted for him? Well, obviously he's talented, but I think the reason is you look at what that team has done. You know, they're in the playoff. They're undefeated. Um, and he, 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 that game he played against Oregon was outstanding. Both and, games in the regular yeah. season and the playoffs. So, I mean, every challenge or Pac 12 championship, yeah, I said playoffs. And, and even, I, I think I watched him some again when they played Oregon State, which was another close game. Mm-hmm. He has come through almost every time when he had to. And really, that's what you want from your quarterback. I mean, I know a lot of people say, well, I want my quarterback to be a game manager and not make mistakes. Well, that's great if that's the way your offense is set up, but Washington's not like that. Even though they do have an outstanding running back, I don't care what anyone says. That the Edwards is, kid, number seven. Johnson. Or, John, number yeah, seven. The, Dylan, yeah, yeah, Johnson or whatever his name is. He, he's outstanding. But I think Penix has come through every time when he's had to. The way I describe Penix, he's an aggressive – 
playmaker with the football. And so when I say playmaker, he's not a runner. He is kind of yeah. a more traditional pocket passer, but he's such an aggressive thrower of the football. And Coach Kalen DeBoer at Washington allows him to do that in his system. And they also have with the receivers, with Romeo Dunze, who's outstanding, Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan, who are yeah. outstanding receivers. It kind of gives him the license to maybe take more chances than most other quarterbacks do. But accurate accurate thrower an aggressive thrower of the football and Michael Penix Jr. one of the best quarterbacks in college football this season got a couple more to talk about here a couple more finalists and I'll say this for Penix Jr. I think not only him being undefeated and what he did with the team I think the Pac-12 was the toughest conference in the country this year and to go undefeated in that league you mentioned Oregon State USC was really good as well Oregon's outstanding that I mean UCLA Utah were good teams to go undefeated in that league is really really tough one more quarterback from that league, Bo Nix, who yeah. outstanding numbers for a really, really good Oregon team. Mike, what's the case for Bo Nix, who I think going into the last week of the season was a lot of people's favorite to win the Heisman? Yeah, he's just a, a great quarterback. I mean, uh, I'm sure Auburn's sitting there thinking, God, how do we let him get away? And he's a legacy at Auburn, <laughs> too. Know. His dad played there. No, but, uh, yeah, he does it all. I mean, and, uh, you know, he's he's got that team, you know, um, really, I, I don't know if that team would have been where, where it ended up without him. I mean, they, they relied on him so heavily. And, uh, you know, it didn't go his way in that Pac-12 championship game, but it's not because of him. I mean, he made some incredible plays in that game. Yeah, Bo Nix, and we talk about Penix. He's kind of more traditional drop back pocket mm-hmm. guy. Bo Nix is, you know, kind of epitomizes a dual yeah. threat. He runs as good as he throws the football. He's a really good athlete, but you know, completes over three fourths of his passes. Can really run the football. Was accurate with the football as well. Oregon had playmakers all over the place, and Nix kind of played that point guard role and just getting the ball to guys like Troy Franklin and letting them go and make plays. And you know, that Oregon offense was one of the best in the country this year. And he was uh, he was a trigger man. He's pulling the strings and one of the very best players in the country this season was Bo Nix last one Jaden Daniels from LSU who I mean the raw numbers with yeah. him are just ridiculous Mike Jaden Daniels what's the case the the people who who sure you know some people voted for him obviously he's yeah. a finalist what what's the case why would people vote for Jaden Daniels well I think he may be the best athlete in the country yeah. you know what he can do it all he can throw he can run I mean, and, and really, um, you know, I mean, just to hear opposing coaches talk about him, I mean, every one of them. I remember the week before the Alabama-LSU game, Saban talking about him, about how what a challenge it is to stop him. So that shows you the respect that he has from, you know, everyone. I think the downside, obviously, I think they lost three games. Yeah, they they went nine and three. Yeah, and that's, I mean, uh, even though, I mean, you can say he's still the best player in the country, and he he may be, but I think, you know, voters do look at that. They'll look at that record and the fact that LSU wasn't in the championship game, Mm -hmm. the SEC championship. I think that's going to hurt his cause a little bit. I don't know how much. Yeah, he. I mean, if you're making just, hey, if we're doing it based on box score scouting, you're looking yeah. at it, Jaden Daniels wins that. The numbers are ridiculous. He actually has higher production than Joe Burrow did through 12 yeah. games, his LSU Heisman year, yeah. and that's arguably the greatest season in the history of college football, what Burrow did at LSU that year. So Jaden Daniels, outstanding it is. I will say this. it's. I think Jaden Daniels was the best player in the country yeah. this year. 
but he really didn't play a meaningful game after the Alabama, the last month of the season after the Alabama game. So can you give the Heisman to a guy who maybe didn't play a meaningful game, you know, the last month of the season, despite him being the best player again, it, it is, you know, I think coming into the last week of the season, a lot of people thought, okay, Bo Nix will have a great performance yeah. and win the award, but he was kind of outplayed by Michael Penick. So now it's, well, do we get those guys in Marvin Harrison even, you know, yeah. m- maybe not the statistical numbers, but you talk about eye test, and that's something we've heard a lot in college football the last week or so, eye test. I think Marvin Harrison, just looking at him, like, I can't imagine someone who's better at their job than Marvin Harrison is at his and playing wide receiver. So some outstanding players for the Heisman yeah, this year. Gonna, I, I think really any one of those guys that wins it is is worthy. So it's not going to be like someone going, oh, gosh, how did he get it? <laughs> But, uh, you know, I will say this. There was one other person that I really wanted to vote for, but unfortunately uh, an injury kind of messed that up, and that's Jonathan Brooks. Oh, the I, – I thought if, you know, Brooks had stayed healthy and, you know, no telling how many yards he would have had and the fact that they're, they, you know, they're in the uh, playoff. I mean, he would have attracted some attention. Well, he was, I mean, through the first half of the season, he was the best running back in college football. You look at where the stats were trending, you're probably looking at fifteen to 1,600 yards from Brooks, you know, well over 20 touchdowns, probably the 25 touchdown range with him. He's someone who, in this year, where I think everyone kind of struggled to, you know, take the Heisman favorite mantle. Remember, Texas, Quinn Ewers missed a couple of games, yeah. too, and they're still in the playoff. If Brooks had been there and – finish with the numbers he was on track to finish with a 1600 yard rusher with 25 touchdowns who quarterback missed a couple of games but they've still won in large part because of his production he i mean that would have been oh man a hallettsville texas to the heisman trophy how (laughs) great how great would that have been that would have been great i mean and and that would have been one where i'd have been knocking on the door to go to new york yeah because i want to see that but uh i think mike would have been bugging some of the other heisman voters like hey have you thought about jonathan brooks but uh yeah i i mean uh he had an outstanding season and uh was too bad and i guess uh We'll have to see. I mean, uh, you know, I think he's eligible for the draft. He is. He's and, three uh, years out of high school. Yeah, so uh, it'd be curious to see whether Jonathan decides to come back. I, I kind of think he will after that injury, but, uh, you know, that's his decision to make. He was. I was seeing him. I, I follow NFL draft stuff religiously. That's something as we work together more you'll get to know about me. I follow this stuff and, and, and recruiting I follow quite a bit as well, but I think you do just given the nature of our jobs. Um, Jonathan Brooks was kind of being mocked in that second round about the 40th, 50th guy was about where he was before his injury. I'm not sure how the injury affects him most of the time. They do a midseason thing and then they kind of wait till after the bowl season to really get back into where people may fall. I'm, you know, obviously I don't have the day to day on his recovery and how he's progressing but i know before his injury he was going about 40 to 50 was about the range they had him in and you know if, he, if he's still there that's you know that's a couple million dollars right there if you're still in that range so yeah but but with nil yeah I mean, you know who knows you know he may be yeah. better off staying in yeah in texas i mean they have cj baxter who's filled in quite nicely over there longhorns do not lack talent at the skill positions but hey even without jonathan brooks jordan whittington's in the college football playoff Quero's yeah, finest i'm really happy for jordan Jordan, I mean, he's worked his tail off for five years now, and uh, I'm glad to see him get that opportunity. Yeah, we're all excited. We're all excited to watch the Longhorns in the playoff. And, hey, 
if they can beat Washington down in New Orleans in the Sugar Bowl, advance to the national championship, that game's at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas, and a lot to get excited about. The Longhorns are going to be playing, you know, de facto home games, you know, potentially to win the national championship. So exciting stuff going on in college football in the state of Texas. Mike Elko now coaching yeah. at A&M, and we got, you know, a couple – we got Dalton Brooks and uh, – Ruben Owens, who was already at A&M. Ernest Campbell's on the way up there as well. Carlon Jones getting an Alabama offer this week. Carlon Jones, you know, he decommitted from Nebraska and Ohio State, Alabama, USC. He's yeah. a, a lot of people going after the four-star D-tackle from Bay City. Yeah, and uh, there's a guy, I'm, you know, people say, there's a guy that played himself into this position. I mean, uh, you have to give him credit. He worked hard this year. The team was a lot better this year. And uh, he put himself in that position. And, uh, you know, congratulations to him. Uh, we'll see where he ends up. But uh, he's going to get get an opportunity to play at the uh, top level. Yeah, and it, I mean, Ohio State, USC, Alabama already offered him again. That's just in the last, like, five days. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, one, you know, Ohio State, Alabama, those schools offer you. You got to think the rest of the Big Ten, the rest of the SEC are – they see that come through and it's like, okay, who's this Carlon Jones guy? And, you know, they're going to turn on a tape. And, yeah. you know, like I said, he's played himself into this position, now a four-star recruit. So he is, he's, I mean, he's a blue chipper. I mean, he's he's a guy that a high, you know, power five, high impact type of guy. So exciting to have that level of football here in the crossroads. But that'll just about do it for this week's episode of The Grid, episode 65. Before we get out of here, volleyball coaches send in your all area nominations we've gotten a few of them you know it's only two of us right now and the high school football still going on we're pretty backlog we're pretty backlogged at the moment but once the the football season eventually ends we'll be sad when it does but we'll start putting together those all area teams we had some good volleyball in the region and we're excited to you know kind of go through the you know go through some of the best players in the region and make those all area teams and football as well Coaches, I know a lot of you guys wish you were still playing right now, but unfortunately it's not. So if you're not, send in those all-area nominations our way to sports at vicad.com and Mike Foreman and I will take on the unenviable task of trying to get all the, you know, trying to figure out who gets the all-area nods from all the great football in this region. But that just about does it for this week's episode of The Grid, episode 65, semifinal week, an exciting week ahead, three games. Edna and Franklin, Tidehaven, Dangerfield, Ganado and Timpson. Let's get some teams up to Jerry World, Mike. I want to. I have. I want a reason to go up to Arlington. Sure, sounds sounds good. We've we've been spoiled. We've been lucky lately. Let's keep it going. Yeah, I, I want to keep being spoiled. I, I liked it. It's, less, it's much better than just it being. You know, the folks, in, our friends in Corpus right now. They got nobody playing this week. I can't imagine what that's like. So don't let it. Don't let us get there, guys. Let's let's win some games this week. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you back here next week on the grid.